0: Good morning, crew. Good to see you all this morning on this lightly attended Thanksgiving Sunday. <laughs> we, we're not surprised, really. Yeah, Thanksgiving Sunday is usually pretty quiet around here, but welcome to all of you sitting at home in your pajamas on the couch. Uh, we wish we were there, too. Um, yeah, welcome. Welcome to Hillside this morning. We've got a couple of uh, quick announcements as we get started. As you probably saw as you came in, we are back to masks, at least for the time being, which is... Kind of a bummer, I love seeing all your faces, but we've gotta be in masks uh, because of the Jeffco mandate. So that if you don't have a mask, there are some out in the back and feel free to grab one of those. Um, a quick update about Operation Christmas Child. I know some of you were involved with that and uh, Barbara sent me an email this week and said that we uh, pulled in almost 700 boxes for Operation Christmas Child from the Golden Area. So thank you to all of those who helped with that. Uh, thank you for those of you that filled a shoe box. That's uh, like 685 kids that are gonna get a nice present from the Golden Area, so we're excited about that. The uh, next phase of our Christmas volunteer opportunities is now the Salvation Army bell ringing, which uh, started on Friday. So there's a sign up online. You can get to that through the weekly email. You can also get to it through our website, but they are signing, you sign up for two hour blocks, basically, to ring the bell out in front of King Supers or Walgreens here in Golden. And the nice thing about the Salvation Army ministry especially is that all the money that's raised in Golden stays in Golden to help people specifically in Golden with rent and medical bills and and groceries and things like that. So it's a really worthy cause and a great opportunity to serve. Um, This Wednesday, is Jesse here? I think I just saw Jesse come in. Where's Jesse? There he is in the back. Jesse Armstrong is back from Ukraine. How long were you in Ukraine, Jesse? 10 years, ten years. oh my gosh, I, didn't realize. I was thinking seven or eight. But yeah, 10 years he was in Ukraine. And so we are going to hear from him Wednesday night uh, here at the church at 6.30. We're gonna have a pie night, so we're gonna have a bunch of pies. Um, a lot of them sound like they're gonna be homemade pies. And yes, I did hear there's a pecan pie or two uh, coming. So for those of you that like pie, come join us Wednesday night hear from Jesse. We'll be praying over him, praying for him, just finding out kind of what the Lord's done and what the Lord's doing in his life. And so we look forward to that. And then on the 5th, we've got a comedian coming in. So I'm going to let Katie talk yeah. about that. So
1: so yes, on the 5th, Sunday night, I think it's evening at 5 o'clock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, come spend the evening with us. Leland Clausen, a comedian. Last, two years ago, I think he was here. Um, literally laughed till I cried. It was really f- a f- really fun night. Um, fun for the family, it's $15 a ticket or $40 cap for the family, so that's a really fun family event. Um, we're gonna take a love offering for uh, Youth with Hope in, um, in Nicaragua and um, we're gonna show a clip.
2: But the best year ever, this one year, I asked for this thing called the Armatron. And the Armatron was this robot, oh, it's up, I can see you looking, oh, look at that. Look at it in all its glory. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Look at that. See, uh, so you have little toggles and that moved the arm. And you see the base? Oh, it was just like a massive base, uh, it had to be that big, because that's where all the batteries went. And it went through power. Like it was just, it was like, are we out again? You just have to keep shoving batteries in there. Just like coal in an old train, right? Just keep going! So this is what I did. And and I I don't want to toot my own horn here, but... Okay, this is... This is good. This is pretty good for a kid. I'm a creative kid, okay? So uh, I don't just see a robotic arm. I see more than that. So, this is what I did with it. You're just gonna blow your mind. I put a sock puppet on that thing. <laughs> I, you don't seem to understand what I just said. I put a sock puppet. It's the first, it was, I was ahead of my time. It's like a robotic, like it's an animatronic puppet show. Why are you not impressed? I don't understand. It was awesome, though. It was like one of the best puppet shows ever. Well, actually, it was pretty lame. It was, it was just too slow, right? Hey, Army, how are you? <laughs>
0: welcome to forward we're a new type of doc okay back
1: <laughs> on the website you can um get your tickets already uh we'll also have some snacks i think that night just should be a really fun night together so come and hang out with us that night also um i just wanted to announce we're going to start our uh angel tree for youth with hope in nicaragua so you i'm sure you notice the tree with all these little ornaments <coughs> um So what you can do this year because of COVID and other reasons, we are just taking donations that we'll send down there. And um, on the back is the name of the kiddo. And then also um, on the back of the tag would be something that would either say $15 gift or $25 for clothes. It's tradition um, for kiddos to get a new set of clothes for Christmas. And then our hope is for them to get some sort of gift, something fun. And so what you can do is take an ornament, and then you'll see the sign-up sheet, find the name and the amount um, on that sheet, fill in your info, and then take the ornament home and stick it on your tree. We have some ornaments from our time in Nicaragua with some of the guys um, that we first met on the streets, and they're some of our favorite ornaments to have and just a good reminder. And so that would be awesome if you guys want to participate in that. Um, I think we'll run that. I guess, till they're gone. But um, we appreciate your support in that and giving the, the kids at Youth With Hope just a fun Christmas. And you'll see some, uh, too, a, a little sheet that shows some pictures from past Christmases and that they just have a great time, of course, opening presents, they do a pinata, they have a feast, and it's just a great time for the parents to come and just enjoy Christmas together. So.
0: Awesome. We have any more? Oh. Good. Okay. All right, thank you, Katie. Um, The uh, last thing I want to mention is children's ministry. Uh, As far as I know, we are all good for children's ministry downstairs. So after this first worship set, if you've got kids here, nursery or elementary, preschool, elementary, uh, you can go out in the lobby if you're not sure where to go. They'll get you taken to the right place. But otherwise, kids ministry will be going right after the first worship set. So let me pray for us as we get started and as we go into worship here. Almighty God, we just praise you for this day. We are grateful for your presence with us this morning. Lord, we know that uh, some of us are here just with heavy hearts, uh, just dealing with stuff, and we just want to pray for your comfort and your peace to be upon us, Lord. We pray for your joy during this holiday season, and we just want to honor you today with our words, with our thoughts, with our action, with our fellowship, with our singing, with with our teaching, just everything we do this morning, we do it for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Why don't we stand as we worship together? I think I've shared this before, but one of the beauties of worshiping the Lord, besides glorifying his name and um, giving the honor that's due to him, um, in our own hearts, we get to settle the issue of authority in our lives. And this first song, um, just the first line alone, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. In that line alone, we're able to settle that issue of authority in our lives, what we truly believe and where we place our hope. So let's do that together.
3: Tell death, death. is in-
4: and control your sovereign. I thank you that we can always rely on you and put our trust in you. Even when we can't see you working, even when we don't understand, even when we're angry at the world and just what's going on. God, I just pray that you would just remind us every day that you are over everything. You are shining over us your presence is near and all we have to do is just remember that you are right there with us and see your promises. God, I pray that today we would just be able to um, rest in your promise, rest in the fact that we are your children, that you died for us and rose again. pray that um, you would speak to us today, and that we would just um, be able to rest in your presence and hear from you, and that you would move in our hearts, oh God, I just um, pray for this time, pray that you would be glorified above all else. God, we love you, it's in your name we pray, amen. You guys can be seated.
0: Good morning, everyone. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know that the holidays can sometimes be difficult. We have different circumstances and family dynamics and loss and things that we have to deal with, but I hope that everyone was able to find uh, some things to be thankful for, some reasons to be thankful, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, we can always find something. And now that Thanksgiving is behind us, we can turn our attention to the Christmas season. And so over the next four weeks, we are going to be going through a series of Advent messages. Now, if you're not familiar with Advent, Advent is basically a time of preparation leading up to Christmas. Um, Similar to the idea of Lent, which is a time of preparation leading up to Easter. And Advent came primarily out of the Catholic tradition, which is what I grew up in, so I'm very familiar with Advent. I remember the Advent season well as I was growing up. But many Protestant traditions also celebrate or observe Advent as well, and we've been doing that over the last probably three or four years here at Hillside, and we have found it to be a really special time in our church year to really just focus in on Advent for a month and kind of take a break from whatever study we're doing, in this case, Galatians, and just focus in on Christmas and really try to get our hearts and our minds pointed in the right, excuse me, in the right direction. So up front here, we have a traditional Advent arrangement with five candles. We will light each one of those, or one of those candles each Sunday, and then the final candle on Christmas Eve. And each of the candles represents a specific theme for the Advent season. And if you look it up, if you Google Advent themes, you'll find different lists and there's not one exact perfect list but the one we're going off of this year are the themes of hate or hate 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 (laughs) hope that would be with an o not an a so not hate but hope Um, hope faith joy and love and today we're going to be talking about hope so we're going to light our first candle and then we will pray together and get into our message That was much more dramatic in rehearsal but (laughs) just kidding let's pray father god we do just come before you uh, during this christmas season Um, and we are grateful we are grateful that this season is about you it's about the christ child it's about the birth of our savior and lord it's easy to get caught up in the trappings of the world so help us not to do that help us to focus on these themes help us to focus on hope and faith and joy and love And help us to share those things with those around us. And Lord, as we come before you this morning, we just pray that uh, our words would honor you, would glorify you, that this message would just illuminate your word for us, and that we would go away edified and encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when you think about the Bible, and when you think about Christmas, where does your mind go? What part of the Bible... Do you think of? Typically the Gospels, right? And probably the Christmas stories that are present in Matthew and Luke. But the Christmas story actually begins long before that. It actually begins in the Old Testament thousands of years before Christ was born. And since our topic this morning is about hope, I want to go back into the Old Testament because the Old Testament is full of hope. The hope of a messiah you see hope doesn't begin with the gospels hope doesn't begin with chapter 1 verse 1 of the book of matthew hope doesn't begin the day jesus was born the idea of hope hope for a savior goes back to the very beginning of the bible because hope began right after the fall so this morning i want to spend a little time looking at several key texts in the Old Testament as they relate to our Savior Jesus Christ and the celebration of his birth at Christmas. Now there are literally hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that relate to Jesus. And some of them are very familiar at Christmas time. So for example, Isaiah 7:14 which says, "Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel." Or Isaiah 9: Or Micah chapter 5 verse 2 which says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Okay, so those are pretty typical prophecies that we read about at Christmas, but I'm not going to focus on those more obvious prophecies this morning. I want to focus on some of the less obvious, some of the more obscure prophecies that were a source of great hope for God's people for thousands of years before Jesus was born. Because these passages can be a source of hope for us as well. And with the benefit of hindsight, we can see how Jesus fulfilled these prophecies, which should deepen our faith. So to start with, I want to go all the way back to the book of Genesis and the account of the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden. Now, it may seem a little odd to talk about the fall of humanity around Christmas time. But that's where it all started. Without the fall, we wouldn't need a savior. So that's really where it all began. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we read the account of God creating the world. And then in Genesis 3, we read about Adam and Eve and how they rebelled against God, eating the forbidden fruit and ushering sin into the world along with that act. And from that point forward, the Bible is a story of redemption. The Bible is a story of reconciliation. It is the story of God bringing the most beloved part of his creation, humanity, us, back to himself after we had rebelled. And Genesis 3 gives us a foreshadowing of how this reconciliation would occur. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now, ladies, you guys get a bad rap. Eve gets the rap here. But what does this say? Adam was right there with her, and he knew better. He's the one that received the command from God not to eat it. And he didn't stop her either, so they were both completely guilty in this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, well, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So we already see this this break of harmony and this, this blame shifting. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all of the days of your life. So right here, after Adam and Eve sin, God declared the consequences upon the serpent for its deception. Now, sometimes we think the man and the woman were cursed, but the man and the woman weren't cursed. The only two things that were specifically cursed, according to the text, were the serpent and the ground. But the serpent would be cursed, and the serpent would be destined to crawl on its belly and eat dust all of its life, this, this idea of humiliation. Then, in verse 15, God foreshadows the ultimate resolution to the problem of sin. So we have the problem of sin show up in Genesis 3 at the very beginning. And then immediately, God foreshadows, declares that there would be a solution for this problem of sin. And he says, And I will put enmity between you, speaking to the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, this verse, verse 15, is known as the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel. This is the first mention of the good news of salvation in the Bible. This is the first hint of a Messiah figure, of Jesus himself. And one way we can connect this to Jesus is to observe how God referred to the offspring of the woman. Specifically, first, God declared that there would be hostility enmity between the serpent and the woman. And then that there would be hostility between the serpent's offspring and the woman's offspring. And God goes on to say, he will crush your head, speaking to the serpent, and you will strike his heel. So the offspring of the woman is referred to specifically as a he in the singular. Okay, so God is referencing a single specific person in the future, Now, with the benefit of hindsight, we can see this as a messianic reference. And another clue here is the reference to her offspring. Okay, so the hostility will be between the serpent's offspring and her offspring. Now, elsewhere in the Bible, the offspring is always referred to as the offspring of the father, not the mother. The word is Zerah, which can be either seed or offspring, and we always see it, the seed of the father, the offspring of the father. But in this case, it is referred to as her offspring, the offspring of the mother. It is a unique case. Again, with the benefit of the hindsight, this is interpreted to mean that the offspring that God is referring to here would have no earthly father. Okay, and as we know, Jesus, born to a virgin, had no earthly, biological father. So the enmity between your offspring and hers refers ultimately to the hostility between the devil and Jesus Christ. The devil would strike at the heel of Jesus Christ with the crucifixion, but Jesus would crush the head of Satan through his death and resurrection. And so the offspring of the woman would have the final victory. So this declaration by God in Genesis 3 foreshadows the coming of a Messiah, a Savior, one that would have victory over Satan, sin, and death. And that coming of the Savior is what we celebrate during Advent, culminating at Christmas. Now the other three prophecies I want to look at briefly this morning have to do with the Messiah being a prophet, a priest, and a king. So let's look briefly at Deuteronomy 18 and a prophecy that the Messiah would be a prophet. Now, the book of Deuteronomy, if you're not real familiar with it, is basically Moses' farewell speech to the Israelites. So when you read Deuteronomy, you kind of see this recapping of the history of Israel and their their time with God and just what's happened to that point. And you see a restating of the law, and people look at it and say, well, why is this so redundant? Well, it's because Moses was restating all this, for the Israelites. They were about to go into the promised land, not under the leadership of Moses, but under the leadership of Joshua, because Moses had been told by God that he would not enter the promised land. So he's addressing the Israelites for the last time before he died. So he reiterates their history. He restates the law that they are to follow as they go into the promised land. Knowing that he himself would not be going into the promised land, Moses said in verse 15, he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you, speaking to Israel, a prophet like me, speaking of himself, Moses, from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. And then, shortly after, in verse 18, Moses reiterated what God had told him specifically. I will raise up, this is God speaking, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him." So twice here we see this reference to a prophet like Moses who would lead the people. Now, when you look at Old Testament prophecies, we have to realize something about them. They oftentimes have a two horizons of fulfillment. They have a short-term fulfillment and a long-term fulfillment, okay? So in this case, the short-term fulfillment of this prophecy was most likely Joshua. He became a prophet like Moses. He replaced Moses as the leader of the Israelites. But then the Jews saw this deeper. They saw saw behind this reference. And and they saw this long-term reference or hope for a Messiah, a prophet like Moses that would lead them indefinitely, that would lead them forever. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that hope. In Luke chapter 7, when Jesus healed the widow's son in the town of Nain, the crowds recognized him as a prophet. It says, then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And then in John chapter 4, the woman at the well recognized Jesus as a prophet. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. And then Jesus, in Mark chapter 6, acknowledges that he himself is a prophet. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He was referring, about his ministry, referring to his ministry in his hometown. He could not, did not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them because of their lack of faith. So with this benefit of hindsight, we can see That Jesus was this fulfillment of this prophecy. He was the fulfillment of this hope for a prophet like Moses. A hope that had been in the hearts of the Israelites since they were on the brink of entering the promised land. Next, I want to look at Psalm 2 and a prophecy that the Messiah would be a king. Now, Psalm 2 is classified as a messianic psalm meaning that its main theme, its main focus, is the hope of a Messiah. So let's read it. It says, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying... I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord, he said to me. You are my son today. I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For His wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So Psalm 2 foreshadows that the Messiah would be a king. Verse 6 refers to God installing His king on Zion. Zion is another reference to Jerusalem here. Verses 9 through 12 refer to the reign of God's king and what that would be like. And then we see a couple of messianic references in here as well. Verse 2 refers to God's anointed one. Now the Hebrew word for anointed one is Mashiach, which is where we get the word Messiah. Messiah simply means anointed one. And then in verse 7 we see this quotation, You are my son today. I have become your father. This refers to the father and son relationship between God and the Messiah. And this connection to Jesus is made explicitly in several places in the New Testament, including Acts chapter 13. This is Paul speaking to a synagogue in Pisidian Antioch. He says, we tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, our Jewish fathers, the patriarchs, he has fulfilled for us their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. So there's that direct reference back to Psalm 2. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words. And this is from Psalm 16. I will give you the holy and sure blessing promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One's seed decay. So there's all kinds of connections here between Paul's speech in the synagogue to these prophecies in Psalms 2 and Psalm 16. So with the benefit of hindsight, we can see that Jesus was the fulfillment of this prophecy that the Messiah would be king. Lastly, I want to look at one other Messianic psalm. And this is Psalm 110 and a prophecy that Jesus, the Messiah, would be a priest. Psalm 110, verses 1 through 4, reads like this. It says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So Psalm 110 prophesies that the Messiah would be both a king and a priest. The first few verses refer to the Messiah as king. Verses 1 through 3 says with references to his mighty scepter and ruling from Zion. And verse 4 refers to the Messiah as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, on the surface, it would appear that this prophecy, that Messiah would be both priest and king, would disqualify Jesus as the Messiah. And this is actually something that Jews have believed for centuries, that this prophecy disqualified Jesus. Because Jesus came from what tribe? The tribe of Judah. Okay? And where do the priests come from? from the tribe of Levi. So if Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, it would seem that he couldn't be a priest because he couldn't have come from both the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Levi. It's impossible. But Psalm 110 reconciles this with this reference to Melchizedek. But who was Melchizedek? He's a fairly obscure figure in the Bible. He first shows up in Genesis 14. After Abram, who would later be named Abraham, had defeated a coalition of kings and rescued his nephew Lot, Melchizedek appears before Abraham. It says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And, he, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So Melchizedek here was first noted as king of Salem. But he was also priest of God Most High, which set a precedent for someone being both king and priest. And his priesthood was confirmed by the fact that he blessed Abram and that Abram then turned and gave him a tithe, gave him a tenth of what he had had. Now remember, this is back in Genesis, Genesis 14. So this is before Jacob was born. This was before the nation of Israel had come into existence. There was not a tribe of Levi yet, so there was no Levitical priesthood, but yet we have a priest, this priest of God Most High, Melchizedek. So we have this priest and king figure in Genesis 14. And then we have this messianic reference in Psalm 110, which states that the Messiah would be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Then, if we jump forward to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, we see the connection to Jesus. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where Jesus, who went before us, had entered on our behalf. He has become, Jesus has become a high priest forever, in the order of Melchizedek. So, Jesus was a priest, but not from the tribe of Levi. He was a a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And that is how he could be a king, from the line of Judah, and a priest. So again, with this benefit of hindsight, we can see that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Jewish hope for a Messiah who would be prophet, priest, and king. Now, there are dozens and dozens of additional prophecies in the Old Testament about a Messiah that would be fulfilled by Jesus. And we've only talked about a few of them here this morning. The point is, Jesus Christ was and is the fulfillment of hope in the Old Testament. And Jesus was the fulfillment of the Messiah for Israel, and he is the fulfillment for our hope for a Savior today. And that is why we focus on hope this first week of Advent as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Christ in Christmas. So what's the point of all these Old Testament prophecies and the evidence that that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies? Why does it matter to us today? Well, first and foremost, as believers, it should give us greater confidence in the object of our hope. Our hope is in our Savior. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and when we see Jesus Christ in the overall context of the Bible we see that the whole story culminates in him after Adam and Eve sinned, their relationship between humanity and God was broken and there was nothing that humanity could do to fix it there is nothing that we can do to fix that relationship so God put into motion his plan for reconciliation, his plan for redemption. And we see foreshadowing of that plan through thousands of years in the Old Testament. And that plan was fulfilled through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as you prepare for Christmas... Keep that in front of mind. Don't let everything push that out of your mind. We know our Savior. We know our Messiah. Our hope has been fulfilled. Our hope has been made certain by this fact. And knowing that our hope has been fulfilled should lead us then to share that hope with others. Because in many ways, I feel like our world is losing hope. The enemy has smothered it especially around Christmas with materialism, the commercialism, the busyness, the stress, the strife. But we need to be the ones that rekindle that hope and to proclaim the fulfillment of that hope. We need to be the conduit of that hope to everyone around us. And it starts with those closest to us. I mean, think about your family. Think about your friends. Think about your neighbors. Think about your coworkers. Do they all know Jesus as their savior? Is this hope certain for them? If not, then pray for boldness. Pray for the opportunity to share the gospel with them. That simple gospel we've been talking about in the book of Galatians. And pray, this is even more important, That the Holy Spirit would draw them irresistibly, relentlessly to Jesus as their Savior. Because ultimately it's the job of the Holy Spirit, right? We're to share the message, but we don't save people. We can't save people. We can draw other people to them with our words and our life and our model and our example, our countenance. But it's the Holy Spirit that does the heavy lifting. It's the Holy Spirit that draws their hearts irresistibly to Christ. And then pray that God would bring others into your life. God sovereignly places people into our lives. There are billions of people around the world, but there are a select few that God has brought into your life or will bring into your life that you can share this hope with. And that's your job. That's our job. That is our role. And then we can pray about being part of sharing the hope With those around the world, we can pray about being part of the Angel Tree Program. We can pray about giving to Nicaragua. We can pray about giving to our other missionaries. Or maybe going to some of these places. Or maybe God's put it on your heart to go somewhere internationally. But don't use the fact that you're not international as an excuse not to share the gospel. Because God has put people in your life right here with whom you can share the gospel. Like Acts Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it starts close to home. It starts in this church. It starts in this community and then it goes out from there. That's how we can share the hope of Christmas. And that's how we can share the certainty that we have. Let's pray. Father God, we do just thank you for the fulfillment of our hope. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we go into this Christmas season, as we consider Christmas, Lord, help us to keep the Christ child front and center in our plans, in our preparations, in our devotional time, in our minds, just in everything we do. Help us to remember the reason for the season. Help us to focus on Jesus and the Christ child and what the Savior would do for us. And Lord, help us to remember these prophecies and help us to just see the Bible as this incredible story of redemption. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for your perfect plan. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
4: We're going to sing a new song. Um, this song's been out for a while, but I wanted to sing it today. Um, It's not so much a Christmas song but more of an Advent song um, because it really just focuses on the time of awaiting our Savior and the hope that we have throughout that time and um, just believing that the season will come and maybe you're in a time right now of waiting and confusion. um, But this song, we just want to be our reflection and declaration that We know that the season will come, and there's always um, a reason for whatever's going on. And there was a reason for um, back in the Old Testament when they were awaiting the Savior. And so, um, in this time leading up to Christmas, uh, we can cling to that hope and just remembrance of our Savior being born and um, just the hope that we have in this season, but also. Um, just in a season of waiting and doubt. Um, just we always have that reminder and that hope to cling to. Um, so we're going to sing this together. Like
3: a frost on a rose Winter comes for us so Oh, how nature acquaints us with the nature of patience. Like a seed in the snow, I've been buried to grow. For your promises, is no From sea to Sequoia. Cause I know, though the winter is long, even richer the harvest it brings. Though my waiting prolongs, even greater, you promise for me like a sea. I believe in my It's worth my patience If you're not done working God, I'm not done waiting Cause You can see my promise Even in the winter You're the kind of greatness Even in major. For All I know of seasons Is that you take your time You could have saved us in a second I said You said you sent child
5: Spoke your name into the night, then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows. Let's grip on. thank you for the hope that we have in you, the hope that is alive and with us. We're so grateful for your life here, for your fulfillment of prophecy. life, for your death, for your resurrection. I thank you for the hope that fills our hearts. And I pray that that hope would be alive in us this season. In our lives, pray that those around us would know that hope, they would receive that hope and hold on to that hope. God, we love you. Praise you today. God, would you be the reason for the season? Nothing else.
4: for worshiping